at school. My parents were working, so my grandpa would pick me up from school when I was little. And then he brought me home, and everything was was covered in ashes, but I didn't know where this was coming from. Dust, there was a lot of paper, and, and it was a lot of the things that just went into the air traveled to Brooklyn. I'm Paulina Jędrzejowski. Paulina is describing her recollection of 9-11. She was five years old. And then I didn't know what was going on, and I think my grandpa didn't want to sort of scare me. I wanted to play outside, and then he said, no, you can't be outside. And I was confused, but then I remember him watching the news, and I actually thought that he was watching a movie, and I didn't know that this was actually happening. Fernando, I was already in my 40s on September 11th, 2001, and of course I've talked to lots of other people about that morning, and all of us remember where we were and what we did. I've never heard from someone who was just a little girl that bright and awful morning. The ashes were literally falling all around her. Yeah, at the time I was 15 when I saw that on the news. Confusion was the only thing I was getting from grown-ups, and things were never the same again. Paulina came of age when Americans felt under siege. She never knew in America before the Department of Homeland Security, before intensive screening at airports, before the kinds of heightened concerns so many of us still feel about being attacked by outsiders. And your point is? Well, despite being born just miles from the World Trade Centers and growing up in 21st century America, Paulina has devoted herself to helping those from outside our borders. While still in college, she has already lived in several other countries, learned other languages, all in order to understand our larger world. But we're not talking about the usual study abroad programs, right? Not at all. We're going to tell the story of something less well-known in America, what is still called a gap year, but now is being transformed into something far more positive and important. Sounds good. Let's introduce the show. I'm producer Fernando Hernandez. And I'm host Steve Levine. This is America the Bilingual. A podcast and a movement to encourage bilingualism in America. My parents are immigrants from Poland. They actually met in New York. I think my dad came in like 93 and then my mom in 91. And then I was born in 96. My grandparents bought a house, so we lived there. It was in Brooklyn. And so it was a three-story house. So it was sort of my mom's sister and my grandparents on the first floor. And then on the second floor, there were tenants. And then on the third floor, it was my parents and me. It was a very, like, I would say, conservative household. We only speak Polish at home. Unlike most American immigrants of prior generations, Paulina's parents wanted to keep their heritage language alive in their daughter. My dad bought a house in Staten Island, and then it was a lot of changes happened during that year. It was 2004. We moved in July, and then in January of 2005, my brother was born. But I went to regular public school from Monday to Friday. I went to a Polish Saturday school. We studied Polish language during the first four years in fifth grade. History was added, and in sixth grade, geography was added. And then 
in high school, what they did is, again, history, geography, and Polish language continued, but Polish language was focused more on literature. I didn't know they had Saturday school in Polish. I tend to think of Chinese and Japanese for that. But it's great that she had that opportunity. How about traveling back to Poland? Yes, we know how important that is for kids so that they can experience a whole world using their language. Within like the first 10 years of my life, I went to Poland about five, six times to so almost every other summer. Way to go. So Paulina's Polish must be very strong. I would say I'm fluent. It is easier to, to speak, read and write in Polish than it is in English. English almost seems very formal to me and very much like even if I am expressing my feelings or something, it doesn't mean as much as when I express it in Polish. I probably use more sophisticated words in Polish than I do in English, which is weird. Paulina did well in her regular school and was exposed to her third language. In sixth grade, we the honors classes, we had to take a language, and then the school was divided into three academies, and in my academy, they had Italian, and then in the other two, they had Spanish. Paulina had three years of Italian before she entered high school. I went to Curtis High School in Staten Island, and I was part of the IB program, so the IB program is, IB stands for International Baccalaureate, they also offered Italian. I was just put into that class. And I think it's just because I already had prior knowledge of the language and I continued with it. So I took it for seven years. I wonder if Paulina's Polish helped her learn Italian. I wondered the same thing. I think that knowing Polish helped me with learning Italian because the Polish grammar structure comes from Latin as well as the Italian grammar structure. So I was able to pick up on that much faster than my peers who only spoke English. In those years, Paulina's family was not well off. Yes, so my dad is a plumber and it was sort of, now things are better, but before we struggled a bit in the sense that my mom stayed at home and took care of my brother, um, and then my dad worked. Paulina applied for a summer scholarship program. Between junior and senior year, I was accepted into the American Youth Leadership Program, which is a program of the United States State Department. Basically, I ended up going with the U.S. State Department to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and I interviewed multiple organizations about how they work to sort of alleviate the ethnic conflicts that are still occurring there. Quite an experience for a young American, but speaking her languages seemed to help her. I didn't use those languages directly, but Polish did help me in some aspects because in Bosnia, they mostly speak Serbian and Serbian is similar to Polish. I mean, Serbian and Polish are both Slavic languages. And her languages may have helped her excel back home, too, in her intense IB program. I finished as valedictorian. So Paulina was doing everything right. She told me she was fearful of messing up, of making mistakes. She knew how much her parents expected of her, but she was about to throw a wrench into her perfect track record, or so it seemed, 
Paulina decided to postpone college. We also think that the metaphor of a gap is terrible because it suggests you're falling into a gaping hole. That's Abby Falick, founder and CEO of Global Citizen Year. Historically, we have considered this gap year to be somewhat remedial for kids who are off track or who might need an extra year to mature, maybe didn't get into college. Abby wants us to change the way we think about inserting a year between high school and college. I think that the term gap year needs a refresh and a rebrand. It's the more recognizable term, but there are a bunch of connotations that we all have with this idea of a gap year, whether it's just for privileged kids or it's kind of not purposeful. So for that reason, we've actually often used other language we like to call a bridge year or a launch pad. Oh, I relate a lot with her. I took a gap year myself or bridge year. My parents were not really happy with it. My dad was more unhappy than my mom. They wanted me to be on the track of sort of high school, college, law school. Both of my parents were very, very strict with education and making sure that I I do as well as possible because they sort of had this feeling of they didn't continue with, with their opportunities. When Pauline was researching scholarships for college, She came across Global Citizen Year and saw that there were scholarships to pay for that, too. I was applying to QuestBridge. I'm not sure if you are familiar with QuestBridge. It's basically a program for low-income, high-achieving students in the United States. So I was applying for that and then the New York City Excellence Award. Here's how she talked her parents into it. And I told them that, like, okay, I want to do this. I want, it came unexpectedly, and maybe it's going to mean something to me in the future. And so my dad was, okay, I can, you can volunteer at home. Like, I can pay for your Portuguese lessons if you want to learn Portuguese, but why do you want to go? Even if her parents agreed to her applying, Global Citizen Year is not easy to get into. We are quite selective, and we're selecting for things that look different from a college application process. So we're looking for resilience, grit, curiosity, and drive. We don't even look at test scores and grades. So it's a yeah a different type of selectivity. We also are not screening for family income. So we've got a, a need-blind admissions process, which is really core to our model. But Paulina was admitted to Global Citizen Year and something more. So I did end up getting QuestBridge, the award, and the New York Excellence Award. And so... The New York Excellence Award Committee basically paid for my gap year. And Paulina was off to Brazil. So Paulina was going to have to learn her fourth language now. I think that the sort of intense language learning was was hard, even though I like I spoke English, Polish, Italian. It was hard to to, for example, communicate with my host mom who didn't know any English. But the welcoming thing that she did was that she sat down with me every evening after dinner, made me tea, and then I would just have my phone with Google Translate and she would try to talk to me about just different things. For example, how my day was or or then just asking me about my family. It took me a while to figure out what 
she was saying. And then when I did figure out what she was saying, it took me a while to communicate back what I wanted to say. But she was extremely patient. It's not by accident that Paulina had to learn another language. It's part of the requirements at Global Citizen Year for all of their fellows. Here's Abby Falick. I think we can't really connect with other people unless we're speaking to them in their own language or at least making some effort to. But we reported in prior episodes that Americans, when they do a study abroad, go for shorter periods. So we've got no shot at learning a language unless you stay long enough. So that's really been core to how we do what we do. I think that it was a very good way to learn because I saw that maybe not every day, but every three or four days, I would notice that it was becoming easier to communicate. I didn't need to use Google Translate for certain words. I could remember certain things that I wanted to say. Paulina expected to have challenges with Portuguese, but there was another challenge she didn't expect. And there was also culture shock when I arrived. So in Brazil, it's very different than in the U.S. In Brazil, people usually have like a small breakfast, a huge lunch and then a very small dinner it was funny because at lunchtime i wasn't super hungry so like i ate a moderate amount and then towards the end of the night i would get super hungry and i was just okay i need to eat but i'm not supposed to eat because no one else is eating but she adjusted after a few weeks and improved her portuguese too after i would say The first three or four weeks, I was able to form simple sentences and understand about 50-60% of what was being said. I would say that it took me about eight weeks to be like, okay, I think I got this. That's really pretty fast, in just two months or so. Paulina was also surprised to find so many Brazilians with European heritages. My host parents' friends were Italian and they like spoke fluent Italian, so I was able to practice some of my Italian with them, which was really cool. So Paulina adjusted pretty well. In the end, maybe a little too well. I didn't want to come back. <laughs> I think it was in the beginning of March where everything just sort of started making sense and it was okay, I could, I could live this, like this could be my life. I was very happy with everything, with the way everything was happening, with, with the place that I worked with. I, I loved my friends and I just felt comfortable. I cried during the last week. I think I cried every single day <laughs> for at least five minutes. Of course, I wanted to go home, but I also, I wanted to somehow connect the two worlds, which I knew was not possible. That was a painful but enriching experience for her. Abby Falick of Global Citizen Year says colleges are starting to be more open to bridge years, and some are even encouraging it. I was able to speak with one of America's leading experts in the economics of higher education, Catherine or Cappy Hill, who just last year stepped down after a decade of serving as president of Vassar College. I watch freshmen go to college, and 
you know, take a year of, of, and sometimes more than that, sometimes 18 months, sometimes two years, figuring out what it is that they want to do. We don't get students through college very quickly. Our graduation rates are across American higher education, very low. And, and that's a very inefficient and expensive way to get students through higher education. So if we could have a program that got students really more college ready and ready to jump in and be committed and have matured a little bit, that would be a great solution. In other words, she means that taking a year off can actually get kids through college quicker. Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the data are something like only 60% of kids that go on to four-year programs graduate in six years. So if you thought about a gap year helping students get through quicker and pushing that rate up from 60%, it could actually improve educational attainment rather than slow it down. Like Abby, Cappy also thinks our term gap year, while common, is not the best. <laughs> I guess I've just, it's been called a gap year for so long. I, I'm used to that, but I do like the bridge year terminology. And if we could slowly shift that to be more the norm, that would be great. A gap year somehow feels like you've missed something, and that's not the case. But she's speaking as a college president. Admission offices are the real challenge. Yes, here's Cappy. So I think that colleges and admissions offices, in a way, set the standards for what students do as they think about going on to college. And so to the extent that it is valued by admissions officers and colleges, college administrations, uh, it'll create at least the incentive for students to think about it and think about whether it makes sense for them. And Cappy agrees that gaining fluency in another language is a key part of a bridge year. You know, we are, I think, clearly entering a, a world that is very interconnected. And it just seems crazy to me that more Americans aren't learning a foreign language because it's the way that you can really understand a culture. And learning a language by immersion abroad is the best way to do it. Let's go back to Paulina. Fortunately, Paulina found that admission offices viewed her Bridgier positively. She was not only accepted into Tufts University, but she received a bouquet of scholarships to attend. She won an Ole Melvaney Social Responsibility Scholarship, a Polish and Slavic Federal Credit Union Scholarship, a United Federation of Teachers Scholarship, and is a Newhouse Scholar. That's an impressive conspiracy for good. It is, and the idea of taking a year off from the education treadmill got a lot of media attention last year because of a person named Obama. Not President Obama, but his older daughter, Melia. First daughter Malia Obama graduates from high school next month and she's going to Harvard where her parents attended law school. But she's taking a break from her studies first. A gap year is a popular plan for many who want yes, to travel. Yes, when she announced that she was going to Harvard, she said she was taking a year off first. I asked Abby if Malia's decision had an impact. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we saw our applications double last year and they're on track to double or more again this year. What her story did to change the narrative, when the president's daughter says, hey, I'm going to Harvard and I'm taking a year, it suddenly made this aspirational for the go-getters, uh, not just the do-gooders. And the best way that a young person can prepare themselves, not just for higher education, but for a very complex world. Uh, 
she is well prepared. She's going to do great things. And uh, you know, as Michelle reminds us, uh, our job is to uh, make sure they don't need us anymore. Fernando, we've done episodes on high school and college study abroad, and the trends, as you know, are not promising for young Americans acquiring other languages. You're right. The study abroad programs are getting shorter and increasingly are in English. Which is why bridge year opportunities are so exciting, especially the model created by Global Citizen Year, where fellows are immersed in another language for long enough to really learn it along with having many other enriching experiences. It's good news that bridge years are growing in popularity and have lots of room to expand. Abby says that today significantly less than 1% of high school students take a year off before going to college. I think realistically, if 1 in 10 kids opted for this path, I think we'd be in great shape. I think that's both realistic and totally achievable. Back to Paulina, international living has clearly gotten under her skin. She was accepted into an organization named Payir and spent last summer working in a village in India. I asked Paulina what her father thinks now. He sort of sees that, okay, like if you want to go somewhere, you can go because you like went on this gap year and you came back and everything's okay. And my parents were also very surprised with the change that happened with my brother, with the relationship between my brother and me. Polina said when she returned home, she wanted to get to know her little brother more and spend more time with him, which she has done. It also made her less concerned with making mistakes. Before, I was not open to mistakes. Like if I made a mistake, I thought it was the end of the world. It definitely made me more confident and this also allowed me to like take more, I don't know, more opportunities, more positive risks of, okay, let me try this out. I don't know if it's going to work out or if it's not going to work out. I saw this transformation firsthand last year when Lori and I met with Global Citizen Year fellows in California after they had returned from their year-long experiences. There were hundreds of young fellows who had just returned from Brazil, Ecuador, India, and Senegal. I was so impressed with their confidence and positive attitudes about the world and themselves. Abby says that seeing that transformation is what motivates her. You can't think about the other as separate if you have actually come to feel like they are part of you and that your fates are wound up in each other's and we live in a globally integrated world, but not necessarily a world where we understand each other or have taken the time to inhabit other worldviews. And so that's a lot of what drives me. We can't hate what we know and what we've grown to love. Paulina seems to embody the best of how a bridge year can open one's mind. There are a lot of political issues that occur and if people were more open to others, define others as you want to, be it people that are, have different thoughts or ideas or dress differently or are of a different race or ethnicity. I think that that gap year is really open to that and that a person who is more open to that is more able to accept the fact that we are all like, no, I don't know Brazil. I loved my year in Brazil, that it has changed my life. 
America the Bilingual is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFOL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does our cool sound design and mixing. Check out the rest of our cast at americathebilingual.com, including associate producer and French teacher, Becky Rankin, our brand and editorial director, Mim the Mimster Harrison, editorial consultant, Maya Thomas, design director, Carlos Plaza, and finally, last and least, our barklingual mascot, Chet, a.k.a. Chetley Von Mutt. Music in this episode, with a Creative Commons attribution share-alike license by Kumiku, Lee Rosevere, Demoiselle Donaire, Kevin McLeod, Francisco Penilla, Nocturman, and Juanitos. As always, visit americathebilingual.com for photos and background material relating to this episode, from gap year to bridge year. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends and help us spread bilingualism across America. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got the chunga, yeah. Ba, 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 ba.